Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today and uh, we're going to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes. Hope that uh, you learn some things about the Bible. I know that we'll learn some things about the Bible because we get all kinds of questions from our viewers. That's all we do on this program is answer questions. So if you've got a question about a verse or a topic or a doctrine that you've always wondered about, maybe something going on in your life, your family, uh, your church that you wonder, well, what's the Bible say about that? We'd be glad to try to find you an answer. Phone number, website at the bottom of the screen. Use those any time to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like to know about the Bible, and you direct this program. And Steve Tandy, that's me, and Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. We'll try to answer those questions as fast as we can and get as many as we can in each week. Uh, but we always give you one for a little test here each week. So here's yours today. Name Joseph's youngest brother. That might sound easy, except Joseph had 11 brothers. So you gotta got to pick from those 11 uh, which one was his youngest brother. And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. All right, I drew the first one today. So let's see what this viewer wants. The viewer says, I know what the Bible says about tithing, uh, but what is the required amount today? All right, well, the viewer understands, it seems, that there's a difference between what the Bible says about tithing and what's required today. Uh, that's because tithing is in the Old Testament. That's the only place we read about it. And yes, the Israelites were to tithe, which is literally 10%. It doesn't mean give. Some people says, think about uh, I'm going to tithe more this week. Now you can't tithe more. Uh, tithing is 10%. So the Israelites, 10% of their crops, 10% of everything that they, they made in any way uh, was to be given to God. So that's a tithe is 10%. But our viewers right. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, uh, we don't read about having to tithe. In fact, what we read about in the New Testament is free will offering is what we call it. Uh, give what you want. You're not limited to 10%. And some people look at it a different way and they say, oh man, that's great, I don't have to give 10%. Uh, the real good way to look at it is I'm not limited to 10%. I can grow and give more than that. Now let's look at some verses, New Testament verses, that tell us about giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Uh, Paul says to give as you're prospered, and that means in keeping with your income. So you make more money, you give more money. Second Corinthians 8, 2 says give in rich generosity. Now see, if you're limited to 10%, you can't give in rich generosity. You just give 10%. Well, grow, uh, uh, give in generosity. In Second Corinthians 8, 8, Paul said you're supposed to excel in the grace of giving. That means you're supposed to get better at it. 
So uh, we can grow in our grace of giving. We can give uh, what we can uh, afford. Ten uh, percent's a real good place to start. Uh, but as we grow in maturity and begin to trust God, it's not about providing for the church budget or uh, giving our 10% because we have to. Uh, it's about learning to trust God. So that's what growing and giving is about. The more we trust Him, uh, the more we'll give. So, nope, not limited to 10%. You can give as much as you want. Okay, we have a worship question, and this one, just like you were talking about with giving, kind of uh, goes back to the difference in the Old and the New Testament. Where does it say in the Scriptures for us to worship on Sunday instead of the seventh day, Sabbath? All right, well, that is a good question, because if you read your Bible and you read through it, of course, the old law was very clear about the command to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. The Sabbath, of course, is the seventh day. Uh, but in the New Testament, uh, the church began to change that. And that happened because uh, in celebration and remembrance of uh, the resurrection of Jesus. He was raised on the first day of the week, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 says. And we uh, know that the church came together on the first day of the week. There's a scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, which Paul mentions that he was going to uh, meet with them. And he says... Uh, Uh, On the first day of the week, every one of you is to set something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so there may be no collecting when I come. Well, well, why would Paul be mentioning that collection on the first day of the week? Well, it seemed to be a practice of the early church as they met together on the first day of the week uh, to uh, support the mission works and to support the the church and the needs of the church. And so we uh, practice that today. And we want to be uh, understanding that in Christ, we're under uh, the new covenant, not serving under the old law. Now, there, there are some people who believe that we ought to keep the old law, and that's their uh, plan is to be con- uh, considered righteous under the law. And you can try that if you want, but it's awfully hard. Uh, the, the new covenant that the, the Christ has set us uh, free from the old. Uh, the book of Romans says that the uh, new way is better than the old, and so... Uh, Galatians says we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So the reason that we serve uh, under the new covenant has everything to do with uh, being under, being in Christ and being part of that uh, under grace and not under uh, the law, which I'm thankful for. Uh, there is one other verse that uh, we'll look at on the screen. It's Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, Luke says that the church met on the first day, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. So we know that's when the church met. We have no other record that the church met at any other time uh, for worship and for uh, collectively being together and singing and and, uh, studying the scriptures and and, uh, giving and all of that. So that's what the first century church did, and that's why we do that today, because that's the practice we see in the New Testament. hope that helps you. All right. If you ever want to know, did Jews practice baptism in Jesus' day? Uh, well, yes. Uh, baptism simply means immersion, uh, plunging under the water, dipping under the water, and Jews practiced that. Now, it had a little different purpose. Uh, when Jesus began to use immersion as a sign of 
becoming a Christian and how you're baptized into Christ, uh, the Jews' baptism was not to get into Judaism. It was not to become an Israelite. You were born and to be an Israelite, and the sign was circumcision for the males, and that's how you got to be a true Israelite. So, But they did immerse people. They did baptize people. And I found a picture of some, an ancient uh, <coughs> baptistry. And these are all over Jerusalem and the Holy Land because Jews used them uh, for more physical things than spiritual. Uh, they did some spiritual, but it was more physical. It was a sign of cleansing. Uh, people had to go to the mikvah, which is the baptistry uh, ceremony, to be cleansed after certain diseases, like if the priest certified you of leprosy. This was a symbol that you were cleaned uh, after women's menstruation period. Uh, they had to go to the mikvah. In fact, Orthodox Jews still practice that today, I understand. Uh, but you went into the baptistry and it had to be flowing water. There was water going through the baptistry and you immersed yourself, and uh, that symbolized that you were clean. So they used it for a lot more physical things. Uh, but Gentile converts, when a Gentile wanted to become a follower of Jehovah, uh, as I understand it, they did immerse them in those pools uh, and symbolize that they had become uh, a follower of Jehovah. So, yes, they did practice it. Uh, everybody knew what baptism was. Uh, and John started baptizing people for uh, forgiveness of their sins and for repentance. And then Jesus took it a step further by explaining that it puts you into Christ. Uh, Peter explained it, put you into Christ and gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the practice was commonplace back then, yes. Take just a moment and talk about studying the Bible by yourself at home. Uh, not everybody does it by themselves. Some people we know use these lessons that we provide, these Bible study tools, uh, use them in groups and get together and study the Bible together. But here's one course that we'll be happy to send you if you're interested in studying the Bible alone. Uh, there's eight lessons in it, good overview of the Bible. We've got more advanced courses. Once you get through that first one, uh, you can keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. And if you'd like to do it online instead of uh, waiting for the mail to come and filling out the paper lessons, uh, we've got some that you can do online. Oneway.worldbibleschool.org will get you uh, set up with that, and you can begin to study the Bible uh, wherever you are, whenever you are. So uh, all great tools, all good ways. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you, and it costs you nothing. We pay the postage and everything, so we just want you to study the Bible, and we found this a great way to help people do that. So give us a call or log on, and we'll get it started for you. Question about gambling. A person wants to know, is it okay to spend money to gamble in a casino? Well, every person has to make that decision for themselves. If you're asking my uh, uh, opinion on it, it is uh, no. I don't think it's good. I don't think there's much good that comes from it. Uh, I can give you several reasons. 
I don't think it's wise. Um, nobody goes really to the casino not understanding that at some point the house wins, and at most point the house wins. Uh, we have some casinos just a little bit south of us, and they're basically in the middle of nowhere, and, and you can tell you're driving up on the casinos because all of a sudden the buildings get real fancy, the signs get real big, uh, they have lots of shows and entertainment out there. Well, how do they afford the money to do all that? Where do you think that money comes from? Uh, people don't build casinos out of the goodness of their hearts. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, we kind of know it's, it's rigged, uh, not, I mean, it's, it's in favor of the house. And, uh, people understand that, I think, but they want to take their chances. So it's, but it's not a wise thing to do. Uh, from a stewardship issue, it's certainly not good use of the money that God's given you, uh, because how casino gambling works is the only way you can win is for someone else to lose. If you're sitting at a table and, and you win a bunch of chips, those chips came from other people. Okay? It's a, it's a, a zero-sum game, so uh, the only way that you can win is for others to lose, and I just don't think that's how God uh, wants us to be. Um, I don't think it's uh, good for us. Uh, I think it, it affects something within our spirits. If you study casinos, uh, uh, they do everything possible to draw you in, and then they keep you in. There's no windows. You can't tell what time it is. They remove all the clocks. They, they want you to stay as long as possible. They'll comp you. They, they want you in there. And the reason they want you in there is because the, more, the longer you're in there, uh, the more they can get you uh, in your mind uh, get you into a cycle and it repeats. And some people have serious, uh, gambling addiction. Some people say, well, I, I, I do it for entertainment. I like to put a little money in there and it's entertaining. And I, I've just never understood that argument at all. I've never found it entertaining in the slightest, uh, to lose money. Uh, if you took the money compartment, uh, the money component out of it, uh, people would not go to casinos. Okay. So the real reason that they go is not to be entertained. They go out of greed. Right? They want the opportunity to earn something for nothing. They want to go in, come out with a little more money than they came with. And some people, I admit, can do okay in the short term, but in the long term, it's not good for us, it's not good for society, uh, and I don't think it's how God uh, wants us to be. I think the key issue really is, uh, in terms of the heart, it comes down to greed. And Jesus, and uh, of course many places in the New Testament as well, warn us against greed. Let's look at one in Luke chapter 24, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So uh, I think casino gambling specifically very much feeds our greed, and I don't think it's good for us for a whole host of reasons. I hope that helps you. All right. If you ever want to know about uh, some verses, what verses justify defending your home or your country? All right. So self-defense and uh, serving in the military, defending the country, all of that. And the reason that questions asked, of course, is because obviously some people, uh, let's call them pacifists, uh, use some of Jesus' teachings uh, to say that you shouldn't defend yourself. You shouldn't defend your home. You shouldn't defend the country. You shouldn't serve in the military uh, because of places where Jesus says, turn the other cheek, uh, forgive those that do evil to you, uh, don't seek vengeance, and all of that. Now, I understand that position. Uh, I think people that hold that conscientiously, uh, that's fine. If they've 
studied the Bible and understand it that way, then it would be against their conscience to uh, serve or defend even their family. Uh, I can't personally see it that way. Uh, I believe Jesus is talking about uh, as a Christian, as a personal Christian response to persecution, uh, don't respond to it that way. If somebody persecutes you because you're a Christian, uh, don't uh, fight back. Take it. uh, Submit to it. uh, Show them that you have more self-control than they do. But I don't think that means if I'm walking down the street and a mugger uh, comes out and tries to take my wallet, uh, that I can't defend myself. Uh, there's a difference there, I believe. It has nothing to do with Christianity. Now, I understand pacifists would see it the other way, and that's fine. But there are some verses, and that's what our viewer asked for, so let's just put three up real quickly uh, that I think pretty well show that there's a difference between personal Christian response and self-defense and uh, country defense. Uh, Luke 22, uh, Jesus told his followers when he sent them out, he said, if you don't have a sword, get a sword. And they were going to go into the countryside, into territory where there were bandits and robbers. And it seems like Jesus was authorizing self-defense there. Uh, Exodus 22, uh, uh, this is the Old Testament, but God's law said that a home defender was not guilty of bloodshed. If somebody came into your home in the middle of the night and you hit them in the head with a rock and killed them, you weren't guilty. They shouldn't have been in your home. You had a right to defend your home. And then Romans 13 takes it to the country level, uh, says that God established government to protect the innocent and to punish the evildoer. That's the role of government is to protect the people. Uh, in their country or city or state or whatever level they are. So that authorizes defense of our country. Now, can a Christian serve in the military? It matters whether they're a pacifist, a conscientious objector, or not. Uh, I believe you can defend your country, and it's, it's all right. If it's all right with you, you can do that. I think it's all right with God, but I understand both positions. Uh, But there are plenty of verses in the Bible that authorize, I think, uh, self-defense and uh, home and country defense. We like to mention each week that we're sponsored by the Churches of Christ and kept on the air by a number of them. And we like to mention a few each week. So today, well, we're going to talk about the home church of Know Your Bible today, uh, the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas. We're up on North Meridian on the way to Valley Center. Uh, just off of 96, if you're ever looking for a church home, we'd uh, warmly welcome you. Great bunch of folks there, lots of great ministries, uh, good opportunities for families and uh, people of all ages. Uh, good place to worship together. Uh, so we invite you, but uh, we also realize there are a whole lot of people watching that aren't in the Wichita, Kansas area. So whatever market you're watching in, you're invited to drop in and visit a Church of Christ sometime. Uh, tell them that you heard about them on Know Your Bible and you appreciate the program. So visit us sometime. All right, Toby. Question about a scripture specifically. What did the, why did the disciples ask if the man was blind because of a sin? or the sin of his parents. Well, this uh, is found in 
John chapter 9 is the story of a man uh, who was blind, who Jesus healed. And uh, let's look at the scripture on the screen, John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, and well, the reason that they asked this question is it was a common teaching at the time uh, that if a person was blind or, or born with some sort of uh, deformity or uh, medical condition, this was God punishing them. This was in uh, uh, retribution for some sin of, of uh, that person or their parents uh, or something in the family. And uh, we kind of, I think the name for it is actually called retribution theology. Some people still believe that today. Um, Jesus said, uh, well, let's look at what his response was. Uh, verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, so there is suffering, and we certainly know that living in a broken world. Is all suffering tied to sin? Some suffering is tied to sin because it's a, you know, you sin and uh, that choice results in uh, consequences, natural consequences. Of course, this is why one of the reasons God doesn't want us to sin is because He knows it's not good for us and it'll hurt us. So, uh, some suffering is tied to sin, uh, but not all suffering is tied to sin. And in fact, the scriptures in, in the New Testament, many times Christians are told that they will suffer as a Christian. And there are times when that suffering, uh, it's not as a result of our sin, but it gives us an opportunity to grow in faith. The book of James, this won't be on the screen, but uh, in chapter 1, verse 2, James, the brother of Jesus, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, having its full effect, allows you to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials will mature us and grow us, and suffering will do the same thing. Um, and I think, uh, just like this man, although his work of God in his life was more immediate and miraculous, I do believe God works in our suffering. And God will allow uh, suffering, uh, and he will still work in it, uh, though it's not necessarily tied to a sin or anything like that. So um, that's why they asked the question was because it was a common teaching and understanding at the time. The Bible really doesn't say that, and certainly in the New Testament, uh, we're never promised as followers of Jesus to be to live lives free of suffering or hardship, uh, but rather in those times to lean more into our faith and hope in God. So I hope that helps you. All righty. Got an easy question here. If you ever want to know, should you dress nice for church? Uh, my answer is absolutely. You should dress nice for church. Now, you probably have another question. What's nice? <laughs> That's where the problem comes in. Uh, yes, you ought to dress nice for church, but not everybody agrees on what nice church dress is. Uh, I imagine we could probably break it down pretty much by age group. Uh, the older age group who grew up when you dressed up for important things, uh, you dressed up to go to church, you dressed up to fly on an airplane in those days, uh, you dressed up to go to the theater, you, you dressed up for almost everything that was important and out in public. 
Now, obviously, that's gone away these days. Uh, younger people uh, would probably say, no, God doesn't care what you wear. And you ought to be authentic. You ought to be who you are. You shouldn't put on a uniform to go to church. Uh, be authentic. And, and people in the world can relate better if you're wearing a T-shirt or something. So those are the two extremes, and I'm sure we've got folks in the audience from both. Now, all that's interesting, but doesn't really matter. What's God say about it? Well, God doesn't say a word about how to dress for church. Uh, he does say that we ought to be modest. Uh, he does say that we shouldn't distract other worshipers. So that's about the only guidelines we've got. First uh, Peter 5.5, 5, in fact, says, clothe yourself with humility. So there's the key of how we ought to dress for church. Be humble, uh, be humility, consider other people, and don't dress to distract, don't dress to show ourselves off. Uh, all of that's wrong in God's sight. But what's nice, Bible doesn't define nice. I think it's cultural. Uh, different cultures have different standards of uh, decency and de- standards of uh, nice dress. Uh, if you were invited to the White House to meet the president, uh, you, you'd kind of think about, okay, I'll address nice and what's acceptable. If you're going to a big interview for an important job, you'd probably consider your dress. Well, when we get together to worship the creator of the universe, uh, we ought to consider not only the situation, but the others around us and kind of fit into the culture uh, of that church, the culture of, of business, wherever. Uh, take that into consideration and, yes, dress nice, however you figure out what that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question is, uh, where can I find where Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And where you can find that is Matthew chapter 16. Uh, verses 13 through 16. Let's just read it together. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, so that's where you find it, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, the context around that, of course, is Jesus is growing more popular. Uh, people are, crowds are beginning to follow him. And just wanted to know, to know uh, from their perspective of his, of his uh, apostles, uh, what, to, what is it the people are saying? Who, they, who do they believe that I am? Because obviously there are lots of rumors about who Jesus might be. Uh, but Jesus wanted to know what they thought. And of course, Simon Peter answered absolutely correctly. That's what the question comes down to, not to what other people think, but uh, who do you say Jesus is? So, hope that helps you. All right. Thank you for your answers today, Toby, and thank you for your questions, viewers. We hope that we got to one of yours today. If not, we'll uh, keep working on them as fast as we can here on the program. Let's answer our trivia question for the day, and it was about Joseph's younger brother, who was that, and Benjamin was the baby brother. Uh, Israel had 12 sons. Jacob later changed his name to Israel, had 12 sons. Uh, Joseph and Benjamin were the youngest, and uh, Benjamin was the baby brother of all of them. 
I've always kind of wondered why Joseph was his favorite since he had a, a one younger baby brother, but Joseph was the favorite. All right, we're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week and answer some more of your questions and hope you can be with us then, see if we get to yours. If not, uh, we'll get to it eventually. We'll be glad to. Glad you were with us. Hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.